Uh, my name is David Wood, and I serve here at Village Bible Church, the Aurora Campus, as our family ministries director, and uh, I enjoy that. But I want to jump into our text here today. In the movie Madagascar, Escape to Africa, there are a group of zoo animals who are on their way back to New York, to their home in New York, and they crash land in the middle of continental Africa. Now, the funny thing here is that they're not used to being in the wild, even though there's a lion, a zebra, a giraffe, a hippopotamus. They're not used to being in the wild. So each of them, in different ways, begin to revert to their old habits. Alex the lion, uh, one of the ringleaders in particular, does something that I think is very interesting. When he looks at his friends, rather than seeing them as they truly are, Alex the lion sees each of his friends as a large piece of steak with arms and legs, which I thought was pretty funny, the way that that works out in the film. His friend, his best friend, Marty the zebra, cannot believe that Alex the lion would try to eat his very own friends. Where did these desires come from, uh, Marty thinks? Later on in the movie, uh, and fortunately uh, for all the children who watch this movie, Alex breaks free from his predatory instincts, and he is able to overcome those because of his uh, love for his friends. Even uh, near the end of the movie, we see Alex eating some sushi, and uh, he declares, it's better than steak. I love it. I love it. So you see at that point, he was able to move beyond his fleshly desires. But I think that is the way often that we see our own lives as believers. We have our new identity, but many times we slip into our old ways, the old patterns of our former flesh. Maybe um, some of the things that you're struggling with is falling into old patterns of materialism. Maybe you have that as an idol. Maybe uh, something that uh, you struggle with these days is strife with others and arguing incessantly. Maybe you struggle with something more along the lines of deceiving others, uh, lying. Maybe it could be gossiping, talking about others behind their back in a hurtful way. It could be that uh, you're focused on bragging about yourself all the time. That could be one former fleshly way that that could be worked out. It could be lusting after men or women. It could be disobedience to your parents or authorities. But whatever it is, whatever the Lord may be bringing to your head in this moment, I want you to think, no matter what sin or previous lifestyle your flesh longs for, the reality is that each of us has a body of death that we are trapped in. Each of us has a body of death that we are trapped in. Those of us who have repented of our sin, those of us who have turned to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in faith, have a new identity, a new purpose here in life. But we need every single day God's power for us to be able to break free from that. So today I'm going to give us Four steps to breaking free. Four steps to break free from your body of death. Now, I want you to understand how important it is that we understand this truth. 
We have this fight every single day. It's ready and waiting for us, so we really need to know how to break free. Maybe uh, in your life you say, you know what? I'm going to try to do this on my own strength. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, and I'm going to white-knuckle it, and I am going to stay away from those former patterns of my fleshly sin. But the reality is, even if you just try harder, you will fail, and you will feel defeated, and you will begin to, as the one senior demon was encouraging his other demon through a letter, you will begin to despair and wonder if maybe you had this whole thing wrong. We desperately need to know how to break free from this body of death. Um, And rather, instead of giving into that old flesh, to live a life of freedom, a life free from the temptation that uh, has been, that life that has been purchased for us through Jesus. So let me go ahead and pray for us this morning. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for the truth of your gospel. I thank you for the new life that we have through Jesus Christ, the new life that we have that we are able to live through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, as we continue in this life, as we continue and seek to obey you, not just for the purpose of looking sinless, not just for the purpose of looking good in front of others, but for the purpose of worshiping you the way that we were designed. Father, may we worship you in a holistic way. We love you, Lord. Please teach us today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, we have four steps. We'll go ahead and start off with this first one, and that is to recognize your former master. Recognize your former master. I have a story for you. Um, About a month ago, uh, country singer Justin Moore did something that will probably give him some great songwriting material. He lost his dog. That would make a great country song, right? (laughs) All right? But... uh, he was, I'm not sure if I will ever own a dog. Uh, I've never owned a dog, um, and I'm not really planning to. I like dogs. They're nice. But uh, Piper, uh, my two-year-old daughter, absolutely loves dogs. Uh, she's looking out the window. She can kind of see out the windowsill now at our house. So she'll peek out the window at the dogs that are walking by, and uh, she loves it when she sees them on TV or elsewhere. Um, so anytime Piper needs to get her doggy fixed, she heads over to uh, my in-laws uh, where they have a dog named Theo, Theotis, um, but um, she calls him Tho because that's, that's how she can pronounce it. So she gets so excited to see Tho. Um, but um, uh, let me get to the story about Justin Moore losing his own dog. And those of you who do have dogs can probably empathize with the panic you may feel when you lose your dog. A June 1st Northwest Florida Daily News article said this, When country singer Justin Moore was finishing up his destined vacation this weekend, he had to leave without his Scottish terrier, Hank, who had run away Saturday morning. He wrote in a Facebook and Twitter message, We searched all day for him with no success. Needless to say, we are bummed out. Moore and his family couldn't wait for Hank's return because the singer had a concert to play, that Saturday night in Georgia. Fans of the country singer wasted no time in reposting his post from Facebook and Twitter. Then, that Saturday afternoon, a gentleman named Rick Scaly found a cute little dog just a few streets away from Moore's vacation home. 
He scooped up the dog, whose tag read Hank, in his car and drove around for nearly three hours looking for the owners. That's a long time. Scaly said, I didn't want to take him to a shelter because I could tell a good family owned him. Then, Sunday morning, while sitting down for breakfast, Scaly was scrolling through Facebook and found Moore's post shared on a local page. He said, I took the picture of the dog and said, I found Hank. Within 30 minutes, my phone started blowing up. Not literally, that means that he was getting a lot of text messages or phone calls. Uh, My phone started blowing up. Uh, The singer uh, was so happy, he personally called Scaly as well to thank him for taking care of Hank. The singer actually said this wasn't the first time Hank had run away. In fact, the singer was late for his own wedding because of the runaway dog. He must really love that dog. (laughs) But aren't we like Hank? So many times aren't we just like Hank? We have a good, loving master, a father in heaven who takes care of us, who gives us every spiritual blessing, everything that we need. But rather than enjoying and serving our new true master. We run away, just like Hank seemed to run away to a former master. We were once slaves of sin, but now we are slaves of righteousness. We need to recognize our former master. That's our first point. We need to recognize your former master. Before I get into a few uh, facts about your former master... I would like to give you an overview of the chapter of Romans. We are in Romans. Thank you, Kirk, for reading. We're in Romans chapter 7. And uh, let me just give you a quick overview of Romans. Uh, Romans was written as a letter to a church in Rome by the Apostle Paul. And he wrote to help outline for them what a healthy understanding of the gospel looked like. There were people that weren't sure, are we supposed to be obeying the law like uh, that God gave to the Israelites? Are we supposed to be not doing that? Are we supposed to be giving into whatever we feel like doing because we have freedom through Christ? And Paul outlined for them very clearly uh, one of the clearest expositions in the Bible on salvation. So in chapter 1, Paul starts out saying that the gospel is from a righteous God. We have a righteous God And he he talks about that for the first half of the first chapter. But then he continues. And the rest of that first chapter, all the way through chapter 3, explains that all people are unrighteous. That's a very sad truth. Every single one of us is unrighteous, whether we're a Gentile or a Jew. Everyone falls short of God's perfect standard. We see this uh, in chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. We're in a bad spot as a human race. But then Paul continues, and here is the the turning point of the whole book. In Romans chapter 3, we see that God's righteousness provides salvation. Only God's righteousness is able to provide the salvation that every human needs. Um, Romans chapter 3, verse 21, explains this really well. This is the turning point in the whole book. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. 
No longer are we under the law in the sense that we have to try to do all these things right in order to get ourselves in right relationship with God. In fact, Paul tells us that's not even what the gospel was desi- or the law was designed to do. The law was designed to reveal our sin. Just like if you were to walk into a room where there was a dead body, you don't know about it until you turn the light on. It's not the light's fault that the dead body is there. The light just shows what's going on. And in the same way, the law shows us the death of our flesh. So uh, then Paul continues, and uh, chapters 5 through 8 explains how righteousness through Jesus looks, what it looks like for us to be living the life that God desires that's only possible through Jesus Christ. So here we land in Romans chapter 7 under that heading uh, to look at the relationship between the law and sin. So let's go ahead. I have three facts for you about your former master. The first fact is this. We were sold under sin. We were sold under sin. Verse 14 of chapter 7 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. That's a sad truth. We once were sold in slavery under sin. But then, Paul continues and shows us that we don't belong to sin. Sin is no longer our master. That's the second fact about your former master you can write down in your notes today. Verse 15 explains this. It says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Paul recognizes, yes, there are times when he disobeys, but those times of sin don't reflect his identity anymore. It used to show that he was uh, in slavery to sin, but now those, that sin does not uh, show that we belong to sin anymore. Paul longs for righteousness. He longs to be obeying God. And so that's why we see our third fact, that disdain for sin affirms God's standard. Disdain for sin affirms God's standard. When Paul takes a look at what he does and how it matches up with God's holy standard of the law, he can see what I do is not good, but God's perfect standard is good. So how does this apply to us today? How do we take these things and plug them in to our lives? Well, I want to encourage you today. If you're not a believer, if you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ and repented of your sin in response to his work in your life, then you're actually a slave to sin right now. The Bible tells us that you are a slave of sin, that you're not able to obey God in the way that he commands. Both your flesh and your mind are filled with sinful desires and motives. That's a sad place to be. So I would encourage you, please turn to Jesus. Please turn in repentance and faith and trust the only one who can save you, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, not only that, uh, encouragement what I give to unbelievers, but those who are believers, let me encourage you. Um, Have you recognized your former master? Have you recognized the truth 
that we were once in bondage and slavery to sin. Maybe you're stuck in a certain pattern of sin, pattern of sin. Maybe over and over you feel like, ah, I keep falling, I keep struggling. Well, let me encourage you. Do you have a disdain for that sin? Do you have a disdain for that sin the way that Paul had a disdain for his own sin? Or are you comfortable with that sin, comfortable with that lifestyle? When sin comes knocking at your door, as it does almost every day, do you submit to your new master or do you run away to your old former master? Don't be like the runaway dog, Hank. Don't be like Hank who ran away to serve a former master. My challenge to you, treasure your former master, Jesus Christ, and recognize that your former master now has no power over you. So that was our first point. Recognize your former master. The second step that I would encourage you to take um, is to recognize the weakness of your flesh. Not only did we have a former master that we were in uh, slavery to, but it gets even worse. We are very weak in our flesh. We are so weak and we cannot do what we're called to do. All right. Has anyone here ever seen some of those obstacle course game shows? Anybody seen ever those? People running through, trying to jump over things, pallets. Man, that would be crazy. Why would people jump over pallets? Um, But uh, I'm guessing if you've ever watched one of these shows, it's probably because there was nothing else on. I mean, you can admit it. You're like, all right, fine, I'll watch this. I guess that's kind of funny or whatever. But um, this past week, uh, Emily Piper and I went up to Rockford uh, to pick up Heather and Judson, uh, Emily's sister, and our brother-in-law. And um, uh, they had been in Africa for a couple weeks, so we went to go pick them up. But uh, while we were in Rockford, we stopped at Culver's, grabbed a bite to eat. And uh, there in Culver's on the TV screen was American Ninja Warrior. Uh, If you've ever seen that show, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, what always surprises me is these people are so confident. The people at the beginning, you know, they're at the beginning of the obstacle course, and they're jumping around, doing all sorts of stretches. Some of them are even, you know, flexing and showing the camera how amazing they are and how confident, how strong they really are. Um, and then they go ahead and they get started, and they fail miserably, right? Uh, you've seen uh, people falling from 20 feet to do a face plant right into the water, You've seen people twisting their knees and having injuries that's going to be with them for quite a few years to come. I saw one guy uh, fell and burst his eardrum, so he was kind of falling over as he uh, was walking out of the water. It's so sad. One guy dislocated a shoulder, and uh, he finished at the very end, but his shoulder was dislocated. That's not very good. But most of the people that compete on that show fail miserably. Why? Because they think that their flesh is stronger than it really is. But the reality, their flesh is far weaker than they think it is. And I think it's the same with Christians a lot of time. We think that we are a lot stronger than we really are, when in reality we're far weaker than we think. Each morning we may rise, feel very good about our day. You know, I know I have lots of challenges ahead of me, I know there's going to be struggles, opposition, hurdles, but I am confident that I can overcome all those things, even just as we sang earlier. But when we do those things on our own strength, 
what happens? Often by evening, we're discouraged. Think, ah, what happened? I gave in just like I did yesterday. I thought for sure I had enough willpower today to overcome these patterns of sin. But let's stop pretending. Let's stop face planting, all right? Let's go ahead and recognize the weakness of our flesh. Let me give you three facts about our flesh. The first fact is this. Our flesh alone cannot obey God. Our flesh alone cannot obey God. We do not have what it takes. We see that very clearly in verse 18. Take a look. Hopefully you still have your uh, copy of the scriptures open. Take a look at verse 18. It says, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So we have this flesh that is still embedded within us. And our flesh has gone rogue. Now our flesh isn't in control, but when we are not filled with the Holy Spirit, our flesh at times can take over. And that's not good. So our flesh alone cannot obey God. And the second fact is that desire to obey God isn't enough. Not only is our flesh too weak, but our desire to obey God is not enough. We can want the right things, but that will not make us live in a pattern of obedience. Verse 19 explains this. For I do not do the good I want. Paul has his right desire, but he continues. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Man, this is rough. He wants one thing, something else keeps happening. What a bad place to be. Well, every true believer, every one of us that is a Christian has within us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is working in us and gradually sanctifying us, making us more holy and allowing us to desire more and more over a period of time. More and more do we desire to obey God, but we need even more than that to, um, to turn away from our unrighteousness. And the third point, uh, as we talk about our flesh and the struggle with our flesh, is that disobedience no longer reveals our true identity. Disobedience no longer reveals our true identity. He says in verse 20, Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So wait a second. Paul just said, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Is he saying like he's being drunk by sin? That uh, the sin is taking over and he's no longer in control? I don't think that's exactly what he's saying. Commentator R.C.H. Lenski, I think, gives us a great ability to understand this when he describes the presence of sinful flesh. He says, listen carefully to this, this sin dwells in Paul. It does not possess and control him entirely. It is only lodged in him. It still maintains itself in him, but it is not really a part of him. It is a foreign element that has, been, that has not yet been dislodged and expelled. Such is the duality. So at one time when we sinned, that sinful pattern showed, yep, 
My identity is that I'm a slave to sin. But now, even though the, the sins, uh, the actions are still present, those sins don't point and say, you know what? Our identity is as, as a slave to sin. But instead, that sinful behavior points to the fact that, yes, we still have the law of sin lodged in our person. So we're not acting out of our true identity. And that's what I mean. Disobedience no longer reveals our true identity. So what does this mean for us? I want to ask you the question, have you recognized the weakness of your flesh? Have you taken a good look and thought about yourself and said, you know what? I am deficient. I do not have what it takes to obey God or to live the way that God has called me. Do you approach life trying to obey God in the power of your flesh? Do you actually have a true desire to obey God, but you can't quite make it happen? Are you discouraged because you've given into sin yet again? Let me encourage you. Don't approach life like the overconfident American Ninja Warrior contestants. No sinful human has ever been able to be spiritually victorious through the power of his flesh alone. So recognize the weakness of your flesh. Recognize the weakness of your flesh. The third step is this. Recognize your inner fight. Recognize your inner fight. So not only do we once have a former master, and that was bad, not only do we recognize that our flesh is weak, but within us, Every single day, there is a fight. Recognize that we have a real fight going on inside of us. Les Miserables is a French historical novel um, that uh, was written by Victor Hugo and was first published in uh, 1862. Uh, It's considered one of the greatest novels of the 19th century. And I hadn't really been exposed to this work until it was uh, put into a film form um, in uh, uh, 2012. And they came out with that, and uh, they had you know, all the musical songs and everything in there. And uh, when I watched it, I was like, wow, this is an amazing story. But uh, let me tell you a little bit about the film. The film tells a story of a man named Jean Valjean, an ex-convict who had served for 19 years in slave labor. Why? For stealing some bread. As soon as he gets out of uh, that slave labor, he is filled with anger and hatred, not only for the people who had put him into jail, but basically for the whole world. He was angry. And then after he got out of jail, he stole again, this time from a very kind bishop who was very loving, very gracious, but he still stole from him. But then um, he gets caught. He gets caught with these thousands of dollars worth of silver. And uh, fortunately for him, the, um, the bishop decided to forgive him and to give him all the silver in an incredible display of love and forgiveness. Valjean, at that point, not only got a second chance, but a third chance. He then must wrestle through the rest of the movie with what he wants to do uh, with that opportunity provided by the forgiving bishop. I have a photo of uh, Valjean here 
agonizing uh, over this. And I want to read for you. I won't sing it, but uh, I will read it for you. Um, I get in trouble when I say this because uh, one time I was, we got home late from a uh, student ministry uh, trip, winter camp or something like that. It's like 1 o'clock in the morning. I was driving home and uh, decided to turn the song on and I cranked it up and I was singing at the top of my lungs. I didn't realize how fast I was speeding and that was my first and only speeding ticket was uh, singing that song. And I thought, what have I done, sweet Jesus, what have I done? That's actually, uh, let me go ahead and read the lyrics. What have I done, sweet Jesus, what have I done? Become a thief in the night, become a dog on the run. Have I fallen so far, and is the hour so late that nothing remains but the cry of my hate, the cries in the dark that nobody hears? Hear where I stand at the turning of the years. And he think, he's thinking to himself, what should I do now? This could be the hinge on which my life changes. He continues to talk about the bishop. He says, why did I allow this man to touch my soul and teach me love? He treated me like any other. He gave me his trust. He called me brother. My life he claims for God above. Can such things be? For I had come to hate the world, this world that always hated me. He's recognizing this grace that is redeeming him. And he finishes his song with this. I am reaching, but I fall. And the night is closing in. And I stare into the void to the whirlpool of my sin. I'll escape now from that world, from the world of Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean is nothing now. Another story must begin. And with that, he rips up his uh, papers that uh, described him as a thief and someone that was under parole, threw them into the air, and he begins a life that had been redeemed. He decides to turn his life around He eventually becomes the mayor of a town uh, and the owner of a factory there in that town. And uh, he saves an orphan girl. We've got a picture of uh, the orphan girl that he saves, and he raises her. And uh, they flourish, and it's amazing. They live a life ending up to serve other people. It's a beautiful story of redemption that gets me every time. In fact, uh, when the movie came out, I was so impressed. I bought the soundtrack. I listened to it for two months straight. got me in trouble with the law. Um, and I remember when our lower level flooded uh, downstairs, Travis and I looked at all the water that was sitting on the uh, carpet, and we said, you know what? Here we go. we got to start Operation Renovation. So we were tearing up all the carpet, turned this on, and I guess he had been in the theatrical production when he was in high school. So we were singing at the top of our lungs, having a great time downstairs. But just like Jean Valjean had a battle within him, deciding if he would pursue righteousness or evil, Christians, each of us, must decide each day if we're going to revert to serving our old sinful flesh or if we are going to obey our new master, Jesus Christ. Let me give you a few facts about our inner fight. The first fact is this. Our enemy doesn't rest. Our enemy does not rest. Even as we saw this, uh, this great drama fall before us, demons are at work. Demons are scheming to seek to make us fall. Our enemy doesn't rest. We see this in verse 21. He says this, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, 
evil lies close at hand. Evil is crouching at our door, longing for a chance to cause us to fall. D.A. Carson explains this reality in his book, For the Love of God, that was really encouraging to me. Listen to how he explains this. He says, People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, it's very important, grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Our enemy doesn't rest. We don't tend to, uh, to drift towards holiness. The second fact about your inner fight is this. There are two laws dwelling in each Christian. Two laws dwell in each of us. Paul explains this. He says in verse 22, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So he's got one law, the law of God, that God has imprinted on his mind, on his desires. And there is also the law of sin that plagues us, that is still embedded in us. That law of sin is this territory where sin still operates in our flesh. So remember that two laws dwell in each Christian. And our third fact is that Christians should admit they need a Savior. Christians should admit they need a Savior. Many times we talk about people who are not believers that need to admit the fact that they need a Savior. But as Christians, don't think for one second that we are beyond the need for salvation. Let me say that again. As Christians, don't let us think for one second that we are beyond the need for salvation. Yes, we have been saved through justification at the moment of becoming a Christian. We've been saved from the eternal penalty of our sin. But as we are sanctified, the Lord is continually saving us by making us more holy. That's something that will continue. Sanctification will continue until the day that we uh, meet with Jesus, either in paradise or when he returns to the earth. Christians should admit that they need a Savior. Now, if you're here today, and if you've never repented of your sin, if you've never turned to the Lord in saving faith, then I want to outline you, outline for you, excuse me, outline for you what it looks like for you to become a follower of Jesus. First, we have to understand God is truly awesome. That's where the Bible starts with God is the creator. He is holy. He is loving, and he is just But the bad news is that we are sinful. We deserve punishment and separation from God. And then the good news is that Jesus, God's Son, who was fully God and fully man, came to earth and lived the perfect life that we could not live. 
He died the death that we deserve, and he came back from the grave, showing that he had conquered sin and death. That's the gospel. And the question for you is, how will you respond to that gospel? Will you turn in repentance to God and have faith in our Lord Jesus? That's what it takes. Turn to the Lord in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14, this gospel is outlined when it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's my encouragement to you. And if you are a believer, have you recognized the inner fight going on within you? Maybe you regularly struggle with sexual purity in a relationship or maybe just on your own. Maybe you want to be kind with your words, but you end up lashing out at others. Maybe you want to be loving to your wife. Or maybe wives, you want to be respectful to your husbands. But maybe you just end up fighting and angry. No matter what sin it is that plagues your life, recognize that that fight is there. Just like Jean Valjean had an inner battle to determine which goal he was going to pursue with his life, we have an inner battle that we must recognize. Recognize your inner fight. And here's the last thing. So those are four things we need to recognize. Your former master, recognize the weakness of your flesh, recognize your inner fight, and fourth, be rescued from your body of death. Be rescued from your body of death. This past Wednesday... A man named Nicholas Winton passed away at the age of 106. Uh, About 75 years ago, um, Winton was a young stockbroker in Prague, and he found himself there as the Nazis were marching on Czechoslovakia. All around him, he saw Jewish parents desperately looking for a means of escape from the Nazis, and if not for themselves, then for their children. Thankfully, virtually handedly, Winston saved more than 650 children from almost certain death in the Holocaust. But he didn't talk about it for decades. It was something he kept locked away until his wife discovered uh, documents in their attic that revealed this whole story. For the first time, he allowed the uh, rescued children to acknowledge and to know and to thank their Savior. Uh, On Thursday, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu said, quote, In a world plagued by evil and indifference, Winton dedicated himself to saving the innocent and the defenseless. His exceptional moral leadership serves as an example to all humanity. After this story came to light, uh, Winton's wife Greta uh, persuaded him to talk about what had happened. And many of those children who are now parents and grandparents themselves were able to come and contact him and thank him for saving their lives. As the parents of a young, beautiful girl, as the father of another baby girl on the way, I cannot, be, I cannot imagine being a parent during the Holocaust. I cannot imagine the sense of loss and panic knowing that death was at hand. 
But did you hear what that article said? These parents, it says, all around him, Jewish parents desperately looked for a means of escape, if not for themselves, then at least for their children. And I think other parents would agree with me. I want the best for my children. I want life, not death. I want freedom, not suffering. I want that freedom like we celebrated yesterday that has been purchased by the death of others. And in the same way, the Apostle Paul is seeking salvation for someone to save him from the body of death. And that freedom was purchased through the death of Jesus Christ. Paul was asking, what can I do? Is there anyone who can save me from this daily struggle? Yes, we can be rescued every day from our bodies of death. So let's go ahead and take a look. We see that God provides salvation through Jesus Christ. Verse 25 finishes up the passage like this. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul praises his Savior for this daily salvation from the power of sin. Unfortunately, uh, this verse does not end with a very nice bow on it. I don't know if you saw the end of verse 25. Paul doesn't finish home free, victorious. Yes, we're going to walk away and live happily ever after. No. It would be nice if he said, I myself serve the law of God. The end. All right? That'd be nice. But that's not how he finishes. The chapter here in our English version and even the paragraph in the Greek finishes the paragraph with the grim reminder that, quote, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. It's disappointing, but it's the reality that we need to be aware of. We need to fight the good fight every day. Fortunately, um, although the chapter ends like this, Romans continues. And the next chapter, Romans chapter 8, shows us what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give us, from Romans chapter 8, three ways to walk by the Spirit. If you want to be rescued from your sinful flesh every day, here are three things that you can do to walk by the Spirit. The first is to live out your true identity. Live out your true identity. Romans chapter 4 says this, Walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The second thing that we can do to walk by the Spirit is to fill your mind with godly thoughts. Fill your mind with godly thoughts. Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says, To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. There are things in our lives that we may need to cut out. There may be things in our lives that we're currently entertaining in, uh, being entertained with, that uh, feed the flesh. Um, those things lead to death. That's the reality. It's, uh, I'm not encouraging a legalistic lifestyle where we come up with some of our own rules and say, well, I will watch a movie if there's only eight swear words in the first half. And uh, no, we're not coming up with rules. We are seeking to be led by the Holy Spirit and filled and influenced with what the Holy Spirit has for us. But I would encourage you, find some books, 
find some movies, find some music, find television shows. There may not be very many of them, but find those that strengthen your walk with God rather than feeding the flesh. So fill your mind with godly thoughts, then pray for God's Spirit in you to prevail. Pray for God's Spirit in you to prevail. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. We see, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit, through His power, brought back the body of Jesus Christ back from the dead. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the law of God can prevail in our lives. So just like hundreds of children were saved from the Holocaust by Nicholas Winton, you also can be rescued from death. So my last encouragement to you is to be rescued from your body of death. Be rescued from your body of death. And just like Alex the lion in Madagascar felt so tempted to eat his friends, just like his old flesh tried to take over his desire and his minds, so too are we tempted every day to give in to our former master. But don't do it. Long for that salvation like Paul was longing. Break free from your body of death by recognizing your former master, recognizing the weakness of your flesh, recognizing your inner fight, and being rescued from your body of death. If the Son has set you free, we are free indeed. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we praise you for salvation. It is so sweet to us. We are thankful for your love in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the power that you give us through your Holy Spirit to obey you. Again, we do not want to obey you just so that we can look good, just so that we can have others look at us and, and see, wow, they've really got it together. We're not just trying to manage our sin here, Father. We want to worship you with everything that we have. We want our lives to be devoted wholly to you as our new master. We love you, Father. It is the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.